Uh, it is good to, to be back. Uh, for some of you who don't know, I was in Uganda for two weeks, missed two Sundays. But I was investing in the lives of about 130 leaders in the northern part of Uganda called Arua, where a team of us are going to be going back this summer, end of June, beginning of July. And just want to give you a little bit about that because it has to do a bit about what we're going to look at in the text tonight in Acts 3. Uh, a little, we've got a little show and tell, a little uh, picture. JP, uh, this is John Paul Sewava Chibaru. Can you say that? John Paul Sewava Chibaru. Yeah. You obviously don't know Ugandan names. Anyway, JP's a friend. We call him the Pope because John Paul used to be the Pope. And I've known him for uh, 14 years. And because of your generosity, you may not know this, just your regular giving, we're able to plant Arua, which is a city in the north, by southern Sudan and by Congo, real strategic crossroads where a lot of Muslim activity is happening, one of the least reached parts of Uganda. JP was uh, planted a church there three years ago. And you and I have been a part of it since day one. As a matter of fact, the land they're standing on, the tent, and this school building, we didn't fund the school building. Another church helped with that. But we purchased the land and the fencing around it. And these are kids going to Solid Rock Christian School. It opened three weeks ago. And because of the generosity of people in this community, these kids, most of them are in the village around where the church is and don't have school fees and don't have uniforms but uh, we as a community have paid for the food for breakfast and lunch for the entire school year for these kids to be able to eat and learn and grow and learn about Jesus. Isn't that exciting? So, like, we're a part of it. They were three, three weeks in, and the school has about 230 students and is set to explode because of the generosity of people. And so from day one, the good thing about this community is we've committed ourselves to help plant like-minded churches. And we don't see the kingdom of God as ending here in Hillsborough, but it's just a start for us. So we were planted by Westside and Bridgetown in April of 2012. And we planted together a rural community church that August. And so within a few months, church was planted. And then within a year, uh, some people moved here and went to Raleigh, North Carolina, and were a part of Emmaus, uh, a Jesus church there. And at the same time, my brother is a, a, a church planter in Estonia, and our, our community has been supporting the work there. And there have been multiple churches planted in Estonia in the last couple of years. So what's happening here is making a difference. Sometimes you don't see it, you don't know it, but I, I wanted you to know about it because God is using you. He's using you. You may not feel it, sense it, see it, but because you're actively involved, God is doing something through all of us uh, together. Well, what does that have to do with Acts chapter 3? The, the movement is moving forward. Uh, in, in Acts 1, Jesus commissions his followers. He says, I'm going to give you the Spirit, and you're going to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I've got some greater things for you. You're going you're to go farther than you thought because I'm going to give you the Spirit. And then in Acts 2, as we've seen, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, there's wind, there's fire, presence of God, and the people begin to speak in unknown tongues. And then Peter stands up, shares the good news. 3,000 people are added to this early community. They're all Jews. They're all in Jerusalem. But we see something is beginning to push forward. And then we see at the end of Acts 2, the normal Christian life. Uh, we spent three weeks looking at what it means to be devoted. Uh, the, the believers were devoted to God, devoted to one another. 
They were devoted towards generosity. And there is something special that happens when a community says, you know what, it's not just me and Jesus, it's we and Jesus. We're going to do this together. And I see that, and I sense that here. Well, what happens when a community takes following Jesus seriously, like really seriously? We're going to see in Acts 3 through 6, now the progression's going to begin to move out. We're going to see that amazing things happen on one side, miracles, works of God, and at the same time, severe opposition. If you choose to follow Jesus, warning, be prepared to sense God and see God move through your life in ways that you didn't imagine God does that. At the same time, don't be surprised when things happen that are out of the ordinary, that are negative, that are pushback against God and his work. Acts 3 through 6, we're going to see over the next couple of months as we lead towards Easter and beyond, is the mix of the normal Christian life. It's amazement and trouble all at the same time. Well, what we're going to look at is just the first 10 verses of chapter 3. And warning on this, I'm cutting it up, but Acts 3, and if you look at your Bible, Acts 3 and almost all of Acts 4 up through verse 31 is all one event. So we're going to break it out so that we're not here for three hours, you know, but we're going to break it out. But what we're looking at is the first scene of a large event that happens in stages. And what, Acts, uh, what Luke does in Acts is he takes this one example as a huge example of what the ordinary Christian life looks like. All right, here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who went into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he looked, uh, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Uh, what I want us to see, obviously, if you've read through Acts, you know that a miracle is about to happen, but I want to look at the setup. They are in Jerusalem. They are in the Temple Mount area for Jews, the most holy place on earth, because this is where the presence of God dwells. I want us just to see something. The early Christian community, the Jesus community, didn't separate themselves from the Jewish community. They went up to the temple. Peter and John are going to regular prayer time because Jesus doesn't pull them away from their faith. Jesus is the fulfillment of their faith. And so whereas many Jews are going to the temple to worship Yahweh, to offer sacrifices, to bring their offerings, the early Jesus followers saw the significance and Jesus as the fulfillment of everything pictured at the temple. And when you went to the Temple Mount and you climbed up, you couldn't just get to this spot. As a matter of fact, if you're, if you're not a Jew, you can't get in. So there's a huge series of gates and walls that surround the temple area. And where is this man begging? I just want us to see the setup. What we think is, is as at the Nicanor Gate, which is on the eastern side of the temple. We got a little, it's a model. This isn't like a photo because we don't see it, but we think it looked like this. Now, let me give you the scale. So behind that gate, that huge structure with the huge doors in the middle and the two side doors, 
the other side of that is the, the, the temple area itself. You can't go in. You have to pass through a gate. Those metal doors, right, which look small, would be the equivalent of about 10 feet higher than this entire building. The entire structure there, that gate is about 75 feet high, four times the size of the structure. So if you imagine the doors being larger than the ceiling, huge structure, beautiful, and the pathway for everyone to get in to pray. Another thing I want us to see, not just the, the, the setting of where they brought in to beg, because if you're looking for help, where are you going to go? Where the traffic is. So if someone's looking for a bit of a handout, where are they going to go? Like for us, it's on the off ramps to Sunset Highway, right? Or the on ramps. You're going to go where natural traffic goes. Now, a couple of things. In Jewish life, in the, in, in the God followers, prayer and getting together wasn't haphazard. For us, we get together once a week. Uh, some get together in homes midweek. Uh, if you come in the morning at night, that may be three times in a week. But, but Jews, they were open for prayer at the temple three times a day. So there's morning prayer at nine. There's noonday prayer. There's evening prayer, which is about three o'clock. So we're getting a clue that the people of God come together often, which says something huge about following God. It's not just something that you do. It's something that we do together. So my point here is that the crippled man, if you're going to beg, go at the right place at the right time to meet the right people, right? So there he is. I want us to remember from verse 2, he's on the outside. Look at what it says, verse 2. A man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So he is on the outside. What we're going to see in these verses is the contrast of someone on the outside versus someone on the inside. So because he is a beggar, he's pleading. Now, in Jewish uh, tradition, there are three uh, pillars of the Jewish faith. The rabbis taught three things are honorable and important in your faith. One is Torah, the scriptures. So they took God's word, what we have, the Bible, very seriously. Second was the worship of God. So three times a day, you were invited. Did everyone make it? No. Like, you had to work and you had family and school, but... The, the Temple Mount was open, and the expectation is that you would be praying to God often with other people. The third pillar, so you have Torah, Scripture, you have worship, and then you have charity. The Jewish people, and we kind of heard that last week as, as Steve was teaching, generosity has been the heartbeat of God and his movement from the beginning. So the, the, the pillars are know your Bible, worship God, and be charitable. Be generous. Generosity is at the heart of God. So if you're a Jew, which this man is, and you're broken and your legs have never worked, you're living off the care of other people, and it is right for you to come and ask. Now, in the afternoon, the 3 p.m. prayer gathering was where many brought an offering to God. So all I want us to see is in the natural, normal rhythm of their life, this man is there. Peter and John have seen him probably day after day after day. If you're a God follower and you go this way from the eastern side of the temple, you've seen this guy probably all of your life. And at the right time, you give a little bit of money. You bring a little bit of food. You help the man 
in need. But the man is stuck on the outside and can't get in. Why? He is what we would call unclean, unfit. Uh, Because of his deformity, because he's never walked, people wouldn't peg him and say, this is why, but the chances are most thought the judgment of God was on him. And because he had this uh, inability in his body, he's not an insider. He's not going into the temple to worship with everyone else. He can pray, but he prays from the outside. Most would think it was either his sin or the sin of his parents that have left him uh, this way. Therefore, you can pray, but from a distance. Well, what happens? Let's just keep reading. Uh, verse 4, we'll read it again. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Peter says, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, taking him by the right hand. He helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. What are we seeing here? The disciples don't have money to give. He says, silver or gold, I don't have. Now, is he just toying with the guys? Is he playing with them? Is he being a cheapskate? No, Luke is giving us the details because the details help. You see, in the early community, the apostles, the leaders, were not rich. The community lived for one another. We saw from the end of chapter 2, whenever someone had need, it starts with the apostles and it works its way out. You give to those that are in need. So Luke wants us to know God's early leaders, these Peter, John, who had been with Jesus, they're living like Jesus. Was Jesus rich? humanly speaking. Absolutely not. He died penniless. As a matter of fact, they're casting lots over his robe. Uh, Jesus doesn't have a secret bank account. Jesus doesn't have a retirement fund. He's living for the good of other people. And Luke wants us to know early followers, they're just patterning their life after Jesus. So they don't have silver or gold, but what I want us to see is they have something and we have something money can't buy. That's the point of the miracle is they're not limited by what's in their bank account. They're not limited by what's in their pocket. They're not limited by their job. They're not limited by anything because they are following Jesus. So they don't have money to give. And the second thing I want us to see, and this is a little more subtle, is Luke is wanting us to know that they're not magicians. At the time of Jesus, in the first century, there were lots of people who claimed spiritual power. And so, like you see today, a little bit here and there, you could have your future read for a few bucks. Like, you know, I can tell you your future for $9.95. Like, you know, you, you, you see that, but in the first century, in this spiritual world, everyone believed the gods are out there and the gods are making a difference in the world. And if you're having trouble, if you can't find a job, if you're struggling, if your wife's annoying you, whatever the case, you got to get to the gods and appease the gods. So there are all sorts of people at the time of Jesus doing miracle power. And what Luke wants us to know is that Peter and John, they're not magicians who are for hire. Because the way it worked is you would go to one of these guys and for the right price, they would pray for you. For the right price, they'll give you an incantation. For the right price, they'll give you the secret information. And so Peter and John are just like Jesus. 
living generously, giving their money away, and they're not charging for God's power. What do they have? It says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. That's the center of the whole thing. What do they have? They have the name of Jesus. I wonder if we would be that bold. I mean, think about the needs in our world. I don't know if you, in your normal rhythm, pass by someone, uh, maybe it's a neighbor who lives down the street who, who can't walk. I've got a neighbor who's just like one house diagonal over, and I just moved in this, this new neighborhood, and he goes in and out by a wheelchair. I don't know if you and I, maybe you're downtown, you're going to go grab a bite to eat, you go to Pioneer Square. Have you been in Pioneer Square and just see lots of people who seem not to have a home hanging out? And it's usually in bunches. Or maybe you see someone who looks like they have a physical issue and they just got to sign up and they're asking for help. I wonder if in the normal rhythm, you and I would have the boldness like Peter and John say, hey, I don't have 20 bucks, but, and then reach out. How many of you, no, I'm not even going to ask. Like, you know, most of us, when we think about following Jesus, we don't think about being used in this dramatic and powerful kind of way. But Luke is cluing us, cluing us into the beginning of the Jesus movement. And from the beginning, when people said they're going to follow Jesus, that didn't just mean going to the place of prayer and receiving good, and reading the Bible, and growing, and growing in generosity. It meant that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, anything is absolutely possible. And I want us just to capture a little bit of the mystery and the amazement of a text like this, because what happens is dramatic, and what happens is life-changing. If you think about it, look at verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. I want us to see the picture. The power is from Jesus, but the hand is whose? It's Peter's. And if there's anything that you and I, I hope that we would capture, is that part of the following of Jesus, part of the Christian life, is that yes, all power, authority, it comes from Jesus. I don't have it, you don't have it, but yet at the same time, Peter and John just doing their normal thing. The scenario, the setting is very normal. Going to the place of prayer, following with the crowds, seeing a man in need, something within them sparked. It was the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God sparks Peter and John to say, you know what, he doesn't need another handout. He needs an absolute transformation. He needs to be healed. And so Peter reaches out his hand. He has faith to believe in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He says, walk. Now, in the name of Jesus comes up all over the book of Acts. People are baptized in the name of Jesus. Mighty works are done in the name of Jesus. When the community preaches the gospel, they do it in the name of Jesus. Why is this so important? Just look over back at Acts 2 and Peter's first message, 2 verse 21. You should see it maybe same page or one page over. At the end of his explanation of the story from the Old Testament, verse 21, he says, and everyone who calls on the what? The name of the what? The name of the Lord will be saved. Now here's just a little bit of a nuance. 
when, when they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. If you're reading this in the first century, what should clue in your mind is, wait a minute, where are they? They're at the temple. And at the temple, there is one name to be worshipped, and that's the one creator God, and that's Yahweh. They're at, you saw the photo, they're at the gate about to go into the temple mount where you don't worship Zeus at that place. You don't worship any other God than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who revealed himself as Yahweh. And as a matter of fact, his name's so holy, you wouldn't even say it out of respect and honor. And so when you're going to the place of prayer, you're going to pray, pray to Yahweh. Does Peter say, in the name of Yahweh, walk? No. He says what? In the name of Jesus the Messiah, born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth. In the name of Jesus the Messiah of Nazareth, walk. What's going on in the early Jesus movement? They recognize that the God of Israel, Yahweh, is Jesus himself. And the power is not just from Yahweh who revealed himself to Moses and to Abraham and the patriarchs, but now this God has come finally and fully in the person of Jesus. So in the name of Jesus is in the authority that is from God the creator. His name is Jesus. And so what gets Peter and John in trouble, and we're going to see that in the next few weeks, uh, the Jewish leaders want to give them a beat down, something fierce. And the reason that they want to beat them and stop them is because they are saying that Jesus is the Messiah from Nazareth. The Jewish leaders thought Jesus, crucified, killed, in a tomb, dead, end of story. The movement is over. But Peter and John are experiencing the power of God in this man's life, and they're claiming that this God is, who's being worshipped in the temple is none other than Jesus. But they're doing what Jesus said. Look at uh, John 14. We'll throw it on the screen for time. John 14. Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, teaches this. Jesus says to his followers, John 14, 10. He says, the words I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing his work. So Jesus says, this isn't just, just me. Father doing his work through me. Believe me when I say I am in the Father, the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And then his word to the disciples. And I will do whatever you Ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So early on, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm not coming in my own name. I'm coming from the Father. The Father is in me and I'm in the Father and I'm doing the Father's work. Oh, by the way, I'm going back to the Father. And now I'm telling you in Hillsborough here at sunset, I'm telling you on a Sunday night, you have my name. Jesus speaks by the authority of the Father and the world changes. Believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. And now Jesus says to all of his disciples, he says, you have that very same authority. I'm in the Father. And now Jesus says, you are in me. If you keep reading John 14, right after this, he says, I'm gonna send you my spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit 
that is working in Jesus is now the Holy Spirit working in you. And so the very miracles that Jesus is doing, the power that's being displayed, Jesus himself is saying is not from me. I'm authorized to do it. And now I'm authorizing you. And he says, you can ask for anything in my name. So Peter and John are simplistic enough, gullible enough, crazy enough to believe that the very works of Jesus are now possible in and through them. Remember, the power is from Jesus, but the hand is from who? It's Peter. And Peter is able to see God work in this crippled, suffering person's life because that's God's heartbeat and God's plan. And he uses his followers to do it. Now, what is the great part of this miracle? The fact that he's physically healed is amazing. But let's just finish it out. Verses 8 through 10. Look at what happens when his ankles become strong. I love it. He jumped. (laughs) Has this guy ever walked before? No, we're going to learn. He's 40 years plus old and he has never walked in his life. So the first thing he does, he throws on his Nike kicks and he just jumps. He didn't wear Nikes. Anyway, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them. Catch that. He went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I think that's that's an amazing phrase. Just underline it. Walking, jumping, praising God because he's experienced God's liberating power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same who used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful. And then, and then the ripple effect. Then they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. I want us to see just the vivid imagery, imagery walking, jumping, praising God, walking, praising God, walking, jumping, wonder. Ah, oh, when God is at work, everyone gets it. And now the guy who's been on the outside, who's least likely to be able to enter in and praise, is now invited to come in as well. The guy who's stuck on the outside is brought in. I think that's equally important to the very miracle of his ankle, uh, ankles and his feet becoming strong. Not only is God restoring his body, but now because of his new restoration, he's able to enter and he's been stuck but now he can join his brothers and sisters. He is a Jew, otherwise he can't go into the temple court. But now as a son of Abraham, someone who's been born into the family of God, he's able to experience the presence of God in a newfound way. And let me tell you, for the rest of this guy's life, I'm sure he's going and telling the story. I was the guy stuck outside the gate. But then a couple of people came and they introduced me to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and his life has changed. Now, what does this say about us? Because this is a scene that is very unfamiliar. How many of you have been walking around town, prayed to someone and said, in the name of Jesus, get up, and suddenly they're healed? That's probably not like your average week. Like, what'd you do? Oh, it was a couple of healings, a couple of miracles, guy half dead, raised alive. You know, no, no, no big deal. Just went to the hospital and said, come out! You know, most of us, like, this is like so foreign we don't even know what to do with it. The story's not over. This is scene one. The miracle leads to something. When God's presence comes, when Jesus touches people, it doesn't end with the healing. The healing is part of a bigger story. Next week, we're going to see what happens 
when the crowd begins to assemble and the power of Jesus is on display and Peter's going to get another chance to talk about the greatness of Jesus. So the story's not over yet. But before we get to that next week, a couple of thoughts for us as we kind of press in and figure out what this has to do with life tomorrow. Which, by the way, tomorrow is supposed to be 70 degrees. If you're not walking, jumping, praising God, God help you. Okay, you know, I mean, this is amazing. You know, but what, what, what can we get from the text for tonight. Number one, Jesus is greater than our budget. Um, I've been following Jesus a long time, and often when I think about what God wants to do, I, not God, God has no limits, and Jesus is wanting to do greater things, but I limit Jesus by what I have. Now, my personal budget, how much I can give, how much I can buy, how much I can do. And what we get early in the, in the gospel story is Jesus is doing more than the disciples can do in their own strength. Can I just say to you, as a community, as a church, let's never let our budget limit God. Let's never let like the resources we have, the people we have, the finances we have, the, 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 the space that we have, the time that we have, let's not limit Jesus by what we have to offer because what we see here is in the regular rhythm of life, they're just going to pray, going to meet with God, going to worship. Jesus can and wants to do more than we're able to do in our own resources. Never forget the power is from Jesus, but the hand is Peter's. So Jesus can do more through you than you probably give him credit for. And maybe this year, part of these days where we seek God together. Maybe Jesus wants to stir us up a bit and, and open up new potential for us that we this year would believe that Jesus can and will go beyond if we're willing to trust him. Don't limit Jesus by our budget, which is an interesting thing. The, the, the church is growing around the world. The gospel is spreading all around the world. Where is the fastest place where the gospel is spreading? You can track it, and there are people who do. The places where the gospel is growing the fastest is in poorer regions of the world where there are fewer resources. Latin America and into Asia, China, and sub-Saharan Africa are some of the places. They may not have as many buildings, as much resources, but there are groups of people who believe. They believe that Jesus is able to do. They're willing to stretch and step out. I think it's us who live in the West not just the West Coast, but the Western European mindset. We have so many reasons to disbelieve. I think some of us, when we look at a text like this, when we look at a miracle story like this, we say, that was great, that was then, Peter, John, apostles, but not me. And where you see the movement of God fueled around the world and the church exponentially growing, it's where humble people often, not always, but often with little resources who simply believe in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, anything's possible. And I think for us, God wants to stretch us in that and help us to believe. Now, let me make a disclaimer. Resources are important, okay? So God is using the resources that you give. Uh, Arua Community Church has land because we paid for it. They have a tent because we paid for it. The kids have food because we paid for it. So I'm not advocating just a spiritual only. God wants to come in his presence. No. God does use our resources. But friends, he's not limited by our resources. 
So you may not have much. You may not be very educated or very experienced in the Bible. You may not have a lot of years of following Jesus. If you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, then what happened with Peter and what happened with John and this this crippled person can happen through you. It's possible. It may not happen every day, but it is possible because of the name of Jesus. The question is tonight, do we believe it? Do we actually believe that God wants to use us? Second thing, not only Jesus, not, uh, let's not limit Jesus by our resources, but I think Jesus wants to um, invite us to help people in his name. They clearly say, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Now, uh, a little bit about kind of the culture and the sway. Uh, to do good is really hip right now. If you're a company, you want some sort of social um, cause. It's very cool to do good, and I'm, I'm all for that. I think there are people who don't follow Jesus who are doing a lot of good in the world, and we ought to applaud that and thank God for that. But for those of us who follow Jesus, just a little bit of a word of encouragement. As God uses us to do good stuff, whether it's with the resources we have or prayer or anything else, let's not be the group that's ashamed of the name of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to say that the reason we're doing this is because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There are those who don't believe in Jesus and do good. That's fantastic. But in this culture that, that doing good and justice and love, you look at all the award shows, you know, that come up to get my award. Hey, man, I want to thank God. Like, what God? What God are you talking about? Because the God of the Mormon faith is not the God that we follow. And the God of Islam is not the God that we follow. But let's be the community that doesn't just use the word God in the generic sense, but actually says, I want to give thanks to Jesus. Because Jesus' power, I'm able to do this. Friends, let's not shrink back. The early church, the early Jesus movement was not ashamed of the name. And finally, one last thought. Jesus wants to surprise us with opportunities. He wants to surprise us. And, and, and notice the miracle. The miracle happened not when Peter and John planned to do miracle stuff. I mean, like, hey, it's, it's Wednesday. Let's do a miracle. No, that's not how it works. It's they're just doing the normal rhythm. It's the afternoon. It's the time of prayer. Let's go join God's people. And then they get surprised. Sometimes God works in the planned. I'm all for that. We're planning a mission to Uganda. We expect God to work. We're planning to do things in Jesus' name here in Hillsboro, and God works. But I think this reminds us that God works in the unplanned. And maybe just by pressing in a little bit, maybe by seeking a little more deeply, God may open up some opportunities for you. I think I miss some opportunities when I'm just not seeking them. But Peter and John are going to the place of prayer, and the Spirit, before they get there, says, hey, there's, there's someone who needs to come in as well. And just, just, just tell them to get up, and I'm gonna do something. And Peter, in obedience, moves and says, get up, and lifts him up, and he's made strong. Now, are we gonna be using this dramatic way every day? Probably not every day, but I wanna suggest that this type of work is not impossible today. And God may want to do that kind of dramatic work here or through you as you're doing your normal rhythm of pursuing Jesus. So final word, final thought, this Wednesday, why are we doing these days 
uh, this Wednesday, the, the 11th, we're inviting you to seek God together because we want to fuel what God may want to do. Out of result of a day of seeking God together, he may spur you towards opportunities you didn't know about. He may give you a creative idea of a way to serve him that you hadn't thought about. On your way to prayer uh, at 7 o'clock, if you're coming in the evening, God may have an encounter waiting for you to step in and trust him. Nowhere in the story does this show us that the man who was crippled had faith. This is so exciting. It doesn't say the crippled man believed in Jesus and therefore he was healed. It says that Peter said in the name of Jesus, get up, and then he helps him up. The implication is that if the believer in Jesus believes, God can do something that is quite amazing. And now sometimes it's the person who reaches out in Jesus' life uh, as he's going around. Sometimes it's the woman who reaches out and touches the edge of his garment and she's healed. Sometimes it's the faith of a centurion man who says, my daughter's at home sick, but Jesus, if you just send the word, if you just speak her name at home, you don't even have to come, she'll be made whole. Sometimes it's the faith of the person who's desperate. Other times it's the faith of the believer. What am I saying? is Jesus may use you in your own trust to see your friend reached, uh, healed, made whole. God can use you. God will use you. God longs to use you. I just pray that we'll get together, not just this Wednesday, but it'll set a new tone and a new desperation, even in our own world. And this year, as a community, I pray that we'll grow in fervent prayer together. And as a result, we'll see some of this kind of stuff. Uh, but that's enough about Wednesday, and that's enough about the future tonight. Here you are. Um, you may have a need. It may, it may be physical. Uh, we're going to do this because as we study Acts, remember, we're not just looking at ancient history. We're looking at the pattern of how God works in his church throughout all time. And you may be here tonight, and you may be struggling. It, it, it may not be crippled like your ankles are fine, your legs are working just fine. It could be some hole in your soul. It could be some emotional thing. It could be some memory. It could be a burden. All right, now you're just struggling. You can't find a job or you can't find a job that pays enough. It, it could be some a relational issue. You're, you're going just button heads with a roommate or struggling with a fiance or a husband, a wife, a son or a daughter. I have no idea. But I do know that in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, anything can happen. And Jesus can step into your world, not next week. He could step in now. And he actually wants to. And he, he wants to bring you from the outside to the inside, from angst and hurt and pain and shame. And he wants you to bring, bring you in, so to speak, to fully worship and walk and jump and be free and praise God in a way that the whole community says, I'm in wonder and amazement because God's at work in that person's life and I see it.